Extras for Podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all of your comics, movies, music, games, and more, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. The plants are killing people? Oh, no. That makes this, this is X. I'm Nico. I'm Kyle. I'm Maddie. And I'm Jonah. But you are, plant. You are. You know, there is so little in this world that really captures the essence of a comic, like taking Tennessee Williams' classic and pasting it onto the green area of the moon. But, you know, that's where we find ourselves here in This Is X. We're taking a look at the two most recent X-related releases. And in this instance, that's going to be New Mutants number 10 and Empire Avengers number 0. Sure, a little confusing. But I feel like, has everybody noticed how much, like, the entire Marvel Universe is just plants now? Like, it's just plants now. Like, horticulture and now Empire, everything is plants. Orcus and also the, the South American nation from the last volume of X-Force also saw a plant person... There's a lot of plants. Krakoan gateway flowers. Krakoa, well, I mean, beyond the fact that Krakoa, Arako, the whole living planet of it all. And now this brings me back to, yeah, it brings me back to all of our thoughts about Black Tom from early in X-Force. How isn't he playing a more pivotal role right now? I mean, everything is fucking plants! I think he was set up to play such a pivotal role, but I, I don't think that ever went anywhere. The issue number is blanking on me, but when Tom, Black Tom has his little meltdown at the Krakoan Tiki Bar... I definitely thought that would lead to something bigger. Definitely thought it was going to go somewhere a little bit more connected to all of this Empire stuff. And I'm actually getting a little bit excited about Empire. I know we didn't love Incoming or Outlawed quite like we'd hoped we would. And we didn't follow the Jessica Jones miniseries that ran along the lines of Incoming. But I find myself interested in knowing a bit more about how this whole plant thing is shaking out. Jonah, this is your first Marvel mega crossover, right? This is your first line-wide dealio? Yes, that is correct. Kyle, you've definitely done line-wide runs with me before. We've read things like War of Realms and Civil War. Yeah, yeah, totally. I don't know. I'm kind of excited to see where this is going, but I think the first couple of issues are gonna show how much interest I'll have towards it later on in the run. Now, Jonah and Maddie, you're the two newest to the Marvel Universe in terms of consistently reading ongoingly. It's not unusual for an X-Men crossover or a Marvel Universe crossover to kind of slow bleed the pieces together, but... Before we even take a look at Empire, I want to talk for a moment with you guys about kind of where things are in the Marvel Universe. The most important thing that sets this whole motherfucker in motion seems to be kind of stretching back to the Kree-Skrull War. Now, I've read it. Anybody else here read the Kree-Skrull War? No, you know, like most of my general Marvel knowledge, I, I seem to reverse engineer my way there through... Something like this, a reference in in an issue like this, and and sort of just going back and doing the study. So, uh, have I read it? No. Kyle and Jonah, now, you guys, the major classic Marvel crossovers you guys have read have essentially been through the show. It's been Secret Wars and Contest of Champions, right? 
That is correct, yes, at least for me. I did read Civil War on my own um, a while ago, so yes. Wait, so no. hold on, I lied. <gasps> uh, I also read Monsters Unleashed. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we all kind of have a different swath of knowledge going into this. Now, it's not just the Kree Scroll War that's going to provide the basis for this. Considering that Billy and Teddy are at the heart of this story, I'm going to assume that we're all vaguely familiar with the Young Avengers. Young Avengers was one of the first titles that I actually read consistently week to week. So yes, actually very familiar. I have some vague understanding of them. I know who they are. There are some that, like, Nico has told me about that, like, I know I would die of love, uh, i.e. Kate, Kate Bishop, Bishop or Miss America. I, I think I mentioned this to you last time I saw you, but if you want a Kate Bishop story, just read Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. Um, it's the, the whole book is a beautiful, perfect little art book, and it has a lot of really great Kate. And, you know, the Young Avengers are such a varied concept in general, whether it's Alan Heinberg's original run on the Young Avengers, which was so successful. It's that 14 issues, and it has the special, and everybody loves it. And then there's the Young Avengers Presents... There's the Young Avengers Dark Reign, which was really just a Masters of Evil story. There was the Children's Crusade. There was Gillen's run with McKelvey on Young Avengers. The Young Avengers themselves are this really transformational idea. And whether it's Runaways meeting up with the Young Avengers or how they intersected with Bucky throughout Civil War, there's something about the Young Avengers that poises them to connect to a lot of stories, and everybody's kind of got some stake in them, which is why Billy and Teddy being at the heart of this really kind of throws me off a little bit emotionally. There's only so many other pieces you really need to know in advance. I would recommend having some understanding of the Jason Aaron Avengers run. Now, Kyle and Maddie, I believe you guys have some experience with that. I am at your recommendation two volumes in current and for if if just for no other reason than familiarity and and understanding the dead celestial jokes in the beginning. Um yeah, definitely, definitely glad that I got close to caught up. I have it in my library, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet, so soon. soon. I do recommend <laughs> Absolutely. I do recommend plowing through those first few trades, whether it's to get an understanding of the Dead Celestial story, exactly what's going on with She-Hulk and her dynamic with the team, or to get a better understanding of the current ghostwriter, Robbie Reyes, who is awesome, hot, interesting. You know, it's hard for me sometimes as a queer Latino man to not overly stan every queer or Latino character, kind of sight unseen. But well before I'd read this Ghost Rider iteration, I'd fallen in love with his visualization. I'm a big Trad Moore fan from Luther Strode, so following him to Marvel was a lot of fun. And I find Robbie Reyes to be a breath of fresh air, and I just think he's such a great character. And having him be central to an arc like this made me very excited for what was to come. So with that said, I kind of wanted to know, were there any questions you guys had about about any of this setup, about swordsmen, green and blue area of the moon, the Kree, Skrull, or Kotati, were there any elements that you guys, as casual to expert fans, were looking for a little bit more depth on? Really, the only thing that I could use a little bit more extrapolation on would be the Kotati. One of the things that I think has certainly been a plague for Marvel is that 
While there have been many successful alien species in the Marvel Universe, one of the problems that they have is that certain species are more popular than others. Now, that's kind of like the standard curse of any franchise, but the Kotati, for the most part, don't really get a lot of attention. Now, they first appeared in 1975 in the pages of Avengers 133. Uh, they were created by Englehart and Buscema. Now, Sal Buscema has been getting a lot of play on our show in the last couple of months, whether it's in New Mutants or Magic. The Buscema brothers contributed so much to the Marvel Comics universe, and it's great to see Sal popping up all of the time. So the Kotati are from Hala, which is the same place where the Kree are from. And the Kotati really, I mean, you saw them bounce around through classic Marvel in the 1970s, but other than that, they truly haven't been around a whole lot. They are very much a second-tier race in the Marvel Universe hierarchy of popularity. Well, I'm all caught up. Okay. I have, I have a question. No, I've read a little bit of Jen Walters, and uh, I am a fan of She-Hulk. Can you explain to me why she sounds like regular Hulk? Because I thought part of the differentiation was she was supposed to be, like, still a super genius and, like, super conscious and sassy and fourth-wall-breaky. Why is she sounding like regular Hulk? So it's a really complicated notion, but one of the most important things to remember is that classic Marvel originated on the idea that concepts were iconography and iconography could be repurposed in new ways. Spider-Woman was not created from a decision to have a brand new exciting character, but rather to make sure DC didn't patent Spider-Woman before they could. That's the origin of a lot of gender swaps from the 70s and 80s. Originally, She-Hulk was going to be the savage She-Hulk, and she was no different than Bruce, but wisdom and time gave birth to a more fascinating character. Of course, that would mean that nothing, for that to be the only iteration of She-Hulk would mean that nothing would need to change for over 40 years. Over the years, she has found herself smarter and dumber and smarter and dumber, and right now, in the Marvel Universe, the Hulk is in a great stage of flux, and he is known as the Immortal Hulk. The Immortal Hulk is a body horror comic, and in line with that, She-Hulk is on a parallel journey of growth, and will even be receiving an Immortal She-Hulk one-shot following Empire. Okay... Um, and which ghostwriter is this? This isn't Johnny, right? This Robbie is, Reyes. Yeah, this is Robbie Reyes. As a Latinx individual, uh, can I just say that I am so thrilled to see a Robbie Reyes here depicted with, as innocuous as this is, wavy hair. Wavy hair, yeah. Something about wavy-haired, very nuanced Latino, but definitively and for sure Latino Robbie Reyes, as opposed to the... the, the thick, spiky, gelled-up hair shortness doing him no favors. This is just a very good look for him. And, you know... Even if he's a Taurus. And, like, I love that he has a muscle car. And you might even say, okay, well, that's a little stereotypical. But you know what? He bucks a lot of stereotypes. He is such a great older brother and is so protective of his younger brother. He has a sense of moral family duty. Robbie Reyes is a really nuanced character with a lot of depth. And to kind of hand wave the character as just another iteration of a legacy title would be unfortunate. Because as a Latino man... I feel serviced and represented here. Do we know where in relation to the blue slash green side of uh, area of the moon the summer's habitat is? 
Yeah, essentially, uh, the blue, green, and X areas of the moon are kind of like, uh, you know, it's like a town that has exactly enough room for a condominium development and a Starbucks. It's all sort of in the same development, and you need the same access road to get to it. I just think it further confuses the timeline of events in Dawn of X, because it is, to Kyle's credit, the summer's habitat is specifically stated to be in the blue side of the moon, so... They just got a lush garden. They they basically got a Whole Foods popped up. They got a farmer's market. And as long as they're not at a Trader Joe's fighting about space masks, I think we should be okay. If you take a look at Empire Number Zero Avengers, there's an issue checklist in the back. And nearly every tie-in to Empire has the word Empire in it, except one of the notable exceptions is X-Men 10. So the idea that the blue area of the moon is so connected to this, so driven home, really does kind of stand up when you take a look at the text stating that a regular issue of X-Men is going to intersect with Empire. So we see from this issue that Tony Stark is getting premonitions and he's kind of like kind of the protagonist right now because he's getting a lot of thought bubbles and a lot of what's Tony thinking? What's going on with Tony? How do you think this is going to affect uh, his upcoming plot line where he marries Emma Frost? You know, it's really interesting to ask any question about Tony Stark right now because Tony's had a bit of a banner year. Whether it was the Iron Man 2020 event headlined by Dan Slott, who is leaving after a year on the title. That event saw the return of X-Men longtime favorites, Wolverine characters, LCD and Albert. So I could not be more excited that this event took place. It also saw the return of Rescue. It was a cool time to like Tony. Now these premonitions first showed up in the pages of Jason Aaron's Avengers, and they're tying into a much larger story at play. So I think Tony, especially with his upcoming run, which is going to quote unquote take him back to technological basics. I feel like Tony is being positioned in a power move to capitalize on the success of the largest film of all time. So as it is, we're covering Avengers Empire number zero, written by Al Ewing with artist Pepe Larraz, color artist Marte Gracia, letterer VCs Joe Caramagna, cover Jim Cheng, and Guru EFX, with variant covers by John Tyler, Christopher... So having missed all of the setup to Empire, I definitely went into complete blind, and I was so thrilled to see this is still the cast of the Avengers that I'm currently getting caught up on. So that was my my lead in book, and of course, be familiar a little bit with the Korean Scroll War, though I do questions, the wary moon, I I found myself nestled comfortably into Tony's narrative. I thought that it was a, a pretty decent way to traverse this story. Uh, I I am very curious to see what role he's going to play going forward. I definitely will be getting out of Empire number one. Uh, but first and foremost, if I could just ask Nico, uh, Jonah, Kyle, does anybody know anything about, have we met Sequoia before? Yeah, Sequoia is a... So this whole thing, this Swordsman, Mantis, Celestial Madonna, it's a thing. And these characters are all vaguely established. But this is some weird spins on it. Like, I don't remember Sequoia being quite so creepy. And and is there anything, and this is this is completely nothing but just visual similarity, he looks a surprising amount now as a grown man like Destiny? You know, I think that that has to do with the fact that this book is by recent ex-superstar Pepe Larraz. Now, you guys might remember during Hoxpox, we lavished Pepe's work with immense love 
it is such a refreshing thing to have Pepe Larraz back on a title that we're covering. His work is so spectacular. And I wonder if it is more that just certain artists have certain styles that they occasionally lean into a little bit more. And I think that might be it. So, and you know, speaking of the art, I, I'm actually a really big Jim Chung fan. I think he's incredibly talented. But I've often remarked that I feel like he puts the same kind of like sexy Antonio Sabato Jr. muscular boyish face on most characters. And I think that that really does work for him. The first place I find myself with pause for it is the cover of Empire Avengers because it kind of looks like Tony's mask is making a face and I don't know what to do with that. Mm, hold on. Oh. Oh no, yeah. It definitely looks like Tony is giving a little bit of surprise face. Yeah. Like a little bit of like 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 kind of like sad, sad Muppet. I'm realizing just now that I could stand to give cover art a lot more uh, attention on a first viewing because I completely miss Swordsman. You know what? I actually think that that's on purpose. And that's something that I'd wanted to point out as well about this cover. There are key elements that are highlighted. Tony, Thor, and Robbie, who really stand as kind of like the main figures. The fact that Teddy is on this cover kind of drives me crazy. He's barely in the book except to be referred to as a puppet. Black Panther, who is one of my favorite characters, not just in Marvel, but in this Avengers run, barely has lines here. Whether it's... Hulkling's wings, the plant life around them, swordsman or she-hulk the amount of green on this page makes it really easy like i mean the amount of green on this page had me so distracted i thought that t'challa's arm was iron man having a big black <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> there you go after it's done silence we cut the it's it's a great cover and it's really beautiful but when you're trying to get so much into a cover when you're trying to find a way to capture all of these personalities and all of these characters in their true form sometimes it's just there's a few too many things and i think this cover suffers from just a few too many figures it it does feel very busy to me um and it's there's not enough differentiation between colors too so yeah with with all that green it all just kind of melds together now maybe that's meant to be analogous for the fact that the plant life is going to take over the marvel universe and that's kind of the fascinating thing about the interiors of this book the last time we really got to sink our teeth into pepe Larraz was an alternate universe so to speak, in the pages of Hoxpox, and here we are kind of finding ourselves in a different time. I find the flashbacks helpful because so much of this story is a well-intentioned info dump, but Al Ewing manages to guide me along on this story so well that I kind of didn't mind that this was a psychic download of everything I needed. I could have stood to have a little more plot, but at the end of the day, the Avengers find themselves on the moon where they come in contact with Sequoia. And they're trying to find out a little bit more about everything going on with these plants appearing. The Return of Swordsman, the refreshing on the Celestial Madonna story, helps a lot of newer readers along. But other than telling us that, I guess, Teddy is working for the Scroll Cree... I, Joined Empire? Yeah, like, and what... And, like, I get... I, I mean, like, Pyre, like, fire. Like, Pyre, like, burn. Like, that's why there's the Y. So, Empire, it's all gonna burn. And it's plants. And plants are particularly flammable. So... So I just feel like nothing happened in this book that I wouldn't have rather have seen like Incoming and Outlawed and this all be one big 48 page story. 
somebody who missed incoming number one, I wanted to reference something specifically for a little bit of context. At one point, Carol says to Tony, Tony, remember the last time we saw a Kree and a Skrull work together? They were both murdered. They were both murdered. And we saw one of them killed by a tree bursting out of him. Right after getting a message saying to, and I quote, beware the trees. As any, for anybody who has read Incoming Number One, for somebody who didn't do the homework, if you'd let me copy off you for a second, what's being referenced here? Exactly that. I mean, they could not be any more on the nose. It is quite literally that the heroes of the Marvel Universe were slowly, slowly convocated together because of a mystery. And the closer they got to it, they get to this guy and there's a scroll and there's a Cree and they're like, oh man, what's this mystery? And they're like, oh no, beware the plants, tree. So do we think that that was a staged death? Do we think that that was staged by the Kree and Skrulls to turn favor against the Katati? I don't know that we know all the players yet. Okay. I think that one of the things that this story did that maybe kind of made me go, was the last page reveal of we're going to protect the innocent, we're going to stand by our friends no matter what it takes, no matter who gets in our way, and they show us the Fantastic Four. I understand what you're saying, but the Fantastic Four are your friends? So so you guys are in your own way? What? I was really confused by that too. Do we we think that the, the Fantastic Four are coming to the aid of the Avengers, or that this is going to be a confrontation? I mean, it's a war book, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the smart money on, well, to seven it's gonna be a confrontation well i'm excited to cover empire number zero fantastic four when we cover x-force next week and i hope we get a number of answers about how the fantastic four are going to fit into that and god i hope they fit in better than they fit into x-men in the pages of x-men fantastic four which felt hollow hollow and difficult to parse for story i i find myself very eager to get back to the world of the marvel cosmic and i think it's because the marvel cosmic has never been more vital to me as an x-men fan than it is right now the x-men have always played with space but i've never felt like space was the x-men's home quite like i do now and again i feel like that's reflected in the pages of x-men 10 and 11 both tying into empire not just x-men empire So my question for you guys then is we read this story and we looked at all of this beautiful art where Pepe Larraz can convey such power with vast immensity and negative space and he can can convey such intimacy and honesty in a powerful close-up. Like he's so deft and he's so capable and there was so little mention of the X-Men yet I find myself so excited to jump into the X-Men for Empire. How do you guys think this is going to all intersect? You know, I'm not sure how the X-Men are poised to join here, but I do think it has something to do with the earlier mention of the Summer's Habitat. They should then, in that case, be the first to know, right? Like, they should have a little bit of an understand what's going on. I, I wanted to take a second and double down on the, the credit given to Pepe Larraz here for his, for his beautiful art, but I also wanted to just shout out Marte Gracia for such a deft and beautiful job with the colors almost every page has just such a beautiful scale somewhere of this fuchsia to purple that just is it just pops right off the page and it really it is what kept me as i read this last night at midnight after work it is what kept me churning through it well, we loved them on House of X, and it just makes sense. And you know what? Actually, uh, Marte Gracia also worked on Powers of Ten. So we've been loving these two together and separate forever. I have a couple of statements about uh, a couple of things. 
Number one, is the art beautiful? Yes. But was Reed Richards beautiful? No. Reed, if you're listening, please go back to the buzz cut with a little bit more on top because this hair is not for you. It does not look good. That's number one. N- number two, it's a... <laughs> it's a big mop. It, oh, oh no. okay. I, I get it. Whereas Robbie Reyes had beautiful, luscious, flowing hair, Reed Richards has a great need for a haircut. It's quarantine hair. Oh, no. He let Ben do this haircut. <laughs> I wouldn't trust Ben with anything. Number two, why are your kids out <laughs> in space? Number three, I feel like the swordsman and Corsair should sword fight, and I am a gay man, so you fill in the blank of what I th- you think that should mean. <laughs> That's three. Number four, I want to echo something really fast that Nico said that this book could be summarized in a couple of other books. I think there are really only two important pages in which Sequoia talks about how Teddy's getting played right now and that the Avengers pledge to save the these people of the blue moon. Uh, the blue side of the moon, not the blue moon. I really don't think there was a lot of substantialness going on. I even felt the action was kind of just meh. Because it was just a deus ex swords machina, as opposed to, you know, the Avengers actually beating something. Expositional info dumps are fine, but, like, they're not the most interesting comics. And I'd rather, like, I'd rather you distract me with, like, something as you're giving me info, as opposed to just giving me the info. That being said, the X-Men... The Summer's House, which contains a a good number of X-Men at this point, is literally right next door to the blue side of the moon. So I imagine they're going to have to get involved. I don't know exactly what their role is going to be, whether they're just going to pull a secret wars and just hide and wait for the perfect moment to join in, or if they're just going to be there head on, or if they're going to be on the wrong side. Who I don't fully know. My guess would be the X-Men are just going to side with who they think will keep them safe. What an X-Men in a crossover thing to do. I, I think we are forgetting what happened in the last couple issues of X-Men where... Are you bringing up the brood? The brood. Because I'm definitely thinking about the brood. Yes. Yeah, so... yeah, yeah. And okay. So... We have we have the new mutants connection with the the Shi'ar, and they that resulted with the King Egg and Baby Brew becoming the leader of the Brood, and we had the Accuser's ship destroyed in that pursuit. So I definitely see the X Men being targeted by the the Kree and the Skrull as a result of that. Uh, those actions and to take kyle's point like another step in the pages of history of the marvel universe we were reminded that apocalypse faced down the brood in time immemoria so so much of this apocalypse narrative that ties back to the origins of krakoa apocalypse fought the brood on krakoa way back in the day with his original horsemen and here the brood are and Ten of Swords is coming, and so many stories are intersecting. It's almost like the guy writing X-Men recently left Avengers and might have a good rapport with the Avengers officers. That would make sense. 
as the X-Men were relegated to the halls of Fox, resulting in a dearth of X-Men involvement in the Marvel Universe at large. And you know what? Maybe that's even part of the problem with AVX. In so many ways, it's not an X-Men story. I feel like this is the first time the X-Men are poised to be part of a big crossover in a big, big way. But speaking of the New Mutants, we also have a new issue of the New Mutants to discuss today. And that issue, New Mutants number 10, Parasomnia, is by regular writer Ed Brisson and artists Flaviano and Chris Lopez on line and color respectively. Feces' Travis Lanham is giving us letters, and of course the amazing Tom Muller is bringing design with Rod Race on cover. Now Rod Race had done the interiors on New Mutants. And I'm a big fan of his work, and I'm a big fan of this cover, but I have to give it up. The most unbelievable fucking part about this issue was Flaviano's colors. I was aghast. These colors are so rich and so saturated and yet muted and digital, but they feel like paint. Yet the the, the pink bubblegum of Glob Herman is the pink bubblegum of Riot at Xavier's, while the serenity of Hisako floating through the ether is totally Laura Martin on John Cassidy from Astonishing, and he still managed to give it its own unique value, especially in the dream sequence pages. So, for my money, New Mutants number 10. Ed Brisson, you're doing a great job on the writing, but the art on this Flaviano, I'm blown away, man. I agree, the art is just, it just pops out of the page. The colors, everything just has this incredible, um level of horror i guess and it just drew me in there's an atmospheric vibrancy that creates suspense and an eerie discontent i completely agree and hats off to flaviano for the pacing of and hats off to flaviano for the pacing of the two-page spread of hisako traveling through the nightmare sphere truly just just such a beautiful such a beautiful conveyance of motion and again, as Nico stated, just the values in really just stunning work. Now, the actual plot of this issue, unfortunately for me... Was Glob's vegetarian locks. Okay, so... We're I making really that, what right? You're saying, that should have been the... the oh, absolutely. So that's going to be three 14-ounce cans of coconut milk, four cups vegetable broth, one pound tofu, freeze the night before, remove and cut into small cubes, one tablespoon lemongrass paste, two... T- I watch so much Top Chef. Like, I'm so tempted to make this. I, I, I intend on making... Text my, I text my girlfriend and I said, do you know what laksa is? And she said said no and i said me neither um but we're gonna find out because now i know so so the funny thing somebody somebody actually made it on the x-men reddit page oh they beat yeah. us yeah well and like jonah and i have been fr- like huge fans of glob since like new x-men <laughs> and like we well. just think he's this he's a funny little fuck is is what he is i love his eyes oh i love his eyes they're beautiful oh he's such a funny little fuck and here he is gifting us this beautiful recipe and i'm so grateful but like you know this is one of those things where i wonder if the pacing on this issue would have been different if ten of swords timing had been a little bit different i feel Mm. perhaps this three issue story doesn't feel or four perhaps it's longer but at the end of the second issue i don't feel really fulfilled like i've had two issues worth of 
story. I've really appreciated a lot of the character moments, and actually, you know, I could not be happier. Kyle, you get a really good Doug moment. <laughs> yeah, he, um, uh, what, what, he's inquisitive. He, he actually kind of seems like a good leader, I guess, even though Boom Boom's really leading, but he's, he's really giving a lot of good information to the team. And he kind of seems to be behaving a little bit differently than Doug behaves in, let's say, X-Men. Now, sure, that could be Hickman's very dry sense of writing, although I am now starting to wonder. I've noticed mutants behave a bit differently when not on Krakoa. Is there something to be said for behavioral shifts on Krakoa? Is this is this behave different or perform different? Ooh, Ooh. and what part does Warlock play? Mm. You know, I, I'm so happy to be a regular contributor here now on This Is X, but can't shake the feeling of being a Taurus sometimes when I have to ask the questions like who's Wildside? Uh, so Wildside is from the dangerous MILF. The no. the mutant liberation front. Oh. So he's from the dreaded MILF where everyone is a cougar. And Wildside uh, is sort of just your generic um, I'm a scratch you up. I'm a scary guy and I got makeup and it was the 80s and Kiss was cool. Look at my giant hair. Yeah, I'm going to be really honest. As much as I love things about the 80s and 90s, it's important to understand that the 80s and 90s frequently relied on a dynamism in the art to carry the characterization of the villain. And I think that that's why we sometimes wind up with really cool villains with no personality. Wild Side is one of those characters who you remember what he looks like, but he doesn't so much have a personality. Kind of the same thing with Reaper. He's really mm. cool looking, but doesn't really have a personality other than gets his hand chopped off sometimes. So Forearm has four arms. This is sort of <laughs> that caliber of creativity. Something that I wanted... Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I heard forearms has forearms, like your forearms, like the lower part of your arm. The character's name is Forearm, and he has four arms. Like the Ben 10 and character. It's spelled, and it's spelled like your it's, forearm. It's spelled like your forearm, but he has four, like four the number. He has four dits. Yes, correct. And my okay. theory is that he and Spiral are going to get together, and together they're going to have the ten swords. And then Kalisto's going to come in with her tentacle arms, and she's going to get all the rest. And we're going to have the three swordsmen of X, and they're going Going to have all the fucking swords. The three excateers. The three excateers, and they have all the swords, and you have all the holes. Because of the swords. Because of the swords. Yes, I'm. I am not. Ex I am not. I am not inviting everyone to have as much sex as they want with Matthew. I am explaining rather that he would be stabbed full of holes. What whatever you do after that is fine. <laughs> So this issue is basically broken up into three different segments. It's Ileana talking with Glob Herman, Boom Boom making a decision of what to do, and Hisako leading the excavation team into this uh, Nightmare Mutant Child. And I want to talk about how amazing that the three parts were kind of, you know, dominated by these three women that I uh, love very much. And it's kind of just amazing seeing these, you know young adult women kind of in these positions because Ileana talking with Glob Herman was uh, very comical. I, I love Tabitha Smith so much. Oh my God. Just give me more boom, boom, put boom, boom and everything. She doesn't have to make sense. She can make trailer trailer park jokes all she wants. And I will love her to the end of time. And Hisako, making a huge um, decision and showing a lot of bravery and fortitude to be able to 
go into this nightmare realm to try to save this child and the rest of her friends is really commendable. Well, you know, and this issue sees Hisako in a in a very dangerous position as we as we come to a close here. Uh, do you have any predictions as to how what what it is going to be that's going to pull her out of this? Ah, that's a great question. The only person I feel who's powerful enough and has the resources to kind of save them right now is Ileana. She's out of um, because in New Mutants number nine, the person who I thought maybe could have done it was Karma, but she was the first to go. They lost the other psychic in Chamber. So when it comes to people who have psychic powers or can use sorcery and magic, we only have magic left. I don't mm. know if anybody else actually can help, unless Doug is going to pull something out of his sleeve and reveal that Warlock is there and do something, you know. Mm. Uh, Dougie and evil. I would, I would be thrilled if this is where we see Warlock come fully into frame. But I would have to agree with you. I think the only person situated outside of the events in the Nightmare Sphere that could possibly pull armor out would be Ileana of of the main team. Danny has such a complicated relationship with her with her abilities. You know, sometimes it's she can pull nightmares out and make them tangible. Sometimes it's any kind of psychic manifestation. Sometimes she's an Asgardian Valkyrie, and other times she has the ability to quantumly affect reality on a fundamental level by altering the frequency of the universe. So Danny Moonstar is somebody whose powers are kind of like famously unreliable in the first place. I would love it, especially having just touched on... Now, we had just recorded 80s Mutant Mania, a special episode where we brought Maddie on and we covered the first appearance of the Hellions. And both Maddie and Jonah were really impressed by the complexity of the relationship between Ileana and Danny. They're both mutants who also have magical connections, whether it's the demon bear and her Native American heritage or... It's the fact that she's a Valkyrie. There is so much to be said for Danny and Ileana both having a stake in the ability to help rescue Hisako. And you know what? It's worth mentioning that all three of them are women whose heritage is very important to them. Ileana is an immigrant. Danny is a Native American. And Hisako's Japanese culture is central to her narrative. So I can't think of three women who belong more in a story. To so for me, I think that the person who's best capable of getting Hisako out of this situation is Hisako herself. Uh, if we remember this, they're in a nightmare bubble. So I think the big thing that we see here is that she realizes that even though she's seeing her mom and her brother, she knows that they're dead. She's aware that this is not real, and I think you know, she can uh, use that to br to take control of I was really hoping dream. you were going to say break free, and I was going to say, please insert the Queen song. I do. Not Ariana Grande. Oh, I went High School Musical. Same, same. Yeah, High School Musical after we sure. After we broke out into High School Musical last week, how did you not immediately, we're breaking free, Soaring. flying, there's not a star in heaven that we can't reach if we're trying. I I have to be honest. Kevo got me to watch High School the Musical, the musical, the series. Oh. Which, 
other than the fact that like I said that you can't add a song to an existing show. You paid for the rights to perform the show as is, right? But other than that, I think it's actually like a really great show and the cast is super talented and I love any show where the focus is on an inclusivity that benefits from the diversity of the cast. There's a lot of different body types. There's a lot of different performer types. I, I really recommend High School Musical, the musical, the series. Okay. All right. That is an endorsement from Nico for High School Musical, musical, the series. I also want to really thank you for taking the Gabriella part. I know that's normally like my, I would, I'm always, but. I, I waited a minute to see if you'd go for I it. I just, I was like, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm Troy in this moment. I feel my Bolton. That's okay. That's beautiful. Uh, you, cause you got your, get your, get your, get your, get your head in the game. I'm, I, I. I mean, I don't dance. I know you can. If I can do it this way, you can do it that way. That is, in fact, High School Musical 2, High School Musical United. (laughs) In which the Wildcats have to unite with the, whatever the opposite of a Wildcat is, a Wolverine, to defeat the gym teacher Stryker. So welcome to This Is... High School Musical, the musical, the series, the podcast. This is Efron. <laughs> this is Efron. Oh my God. That's the whole point of this network is Zach Attack. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> so back to New Mutants for a minute. Um... <laughs> I don't mean to harp on Flaviano's art so much because Ed Brisson, you're doing a really cool job navigating the waters of the New Mutants, which we've said over and over again is a really tricky thing. How do you encapture the notion of nouveau? How do you make new stay new after 40 years? So personally, I think Ed Brisson is doing a really terrific job, especially having shared the reins with Hickman over so many of his most precious beloved characters. But like, I desperately need Flaviano to draw Venom for Donny Cates because everything that's going on with Donny Cates' Venom and his Thor and Null and all of the Silver Surfer Black stuff, it's all been so great. I would love to see Flaviano's work on that complexity of story. I would love to see Flaviano trade work with Trad Moore, pencils and inks, like, pound, like a, pound for pound. Like a Ba Moon thing. Like a Ba Moon thing. I would love that. A thousand percent. Ba Moon, um, Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba, who are comic creators that frequently collaborate they collaborated most notably on a breathtaking piece of art known as day tripper like like amanda sefton no sadly they're also known for their extensive work on matt fractions casanova which is like bizarro really beautiful though you know we've been talking a lot about how many threads are currently going in the dawn of x era especially in the the main x titles x-men x-force uh we seem to have adversaries coming out of the woodwork in spades we have the new hellfire club we have orcus we have the pending man machine war we have hominis verendi so now in addition to that we can we can list whatever uh carnelia is planning however carnelia is trying to spin this as not only to the list of additionally hostile nations to krakoa but do we think that we're going to see carnelia poised for another larger adversarial role in coming books i kind of hope so I saw a rumor going around online. Now, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but Children of the Atom, the Vita Alaya upcoming X-Men spinoff, seems to have not been put back on the schedule yet. And there are some rumors that when it does come back, it's likely to just be a miniseries. 
That led to some discussion that there is some thought that perhaps much of the Dawn of X was going to be a miniseries along the lines of Fallen Angel. Perhaps the creative teams would cycle. While it's getting almost difficult to keep track of this unending number of new characters, I would find it wasteful to come up with a nuanced character like this and not take it a step further. I mean, I, I could definitely see that happening. We've seen that with Costa Verde, and that's taken a a larger role in the ongoing story of Dawn of X. So with them spending so much time with Carnelia, I could see it kind of expanding beyond New Mutants at this point. I mean, other than Domino's solo story, it's really hard to figure out exactly what's going on in X-Force. So I think you're right. There's room for other books to take this on. Well, I guess you could just say, well, there's room for everybody. I am not entirely sure what's going to come of everything. There's a lot of threads, and I'm waiting for that sewing machine to start to, you know, quilt this all together for me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, until we come back to discuss even more amazing X-Men in the form of X-Force number 10, as well as Empire Fantastic Four number 0... Kyle, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Maddie, where can everybody find you? Well, if you share my affinity for cats, accountable policing, and anti-establishment rhetoric, you can find me on Instagram at at the basely covetous man. Hey, Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me being the celestial product of a plant person and mantis over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? As always, you guys can find me all over this amazing network on Mondays and Thursdays on shows like X's for Podcasts, both feeds, Modern Mondays and Throwback Thursdays. Don't forget to check out Tuesdays and Fridays all summer long, Sith Summer, where we are talking about the Clone Wars over on HTML, Force Legacy. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And ladies and gentlemen, it is important to remember that in this ever-changing, ever-evolving world, the most important, powerful thing you can do is be aware of what's going on around you. Please, as much fun as it is to read comics, make sure you are reading the news, staying accountable, and staying aware of the world around you. We need to protect everyone, and black lives will always matter. Black dreams matter, black passions matter, black lives matter, and make sure you remember that. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, keep those Krakoan lights lit. Bye. Bye. Yay. Bye.